We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Day More NBA podcast brought to you by Blue Wire Podcasts. And I just recorded a great conversation with Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report on his new book on the era of tanking in the NBA. Jake shared a ton of Timberwolves and Timberwolves adjacent anecdotes that I think you all enjoy. It was a great episode. Our show is brought to you by BetUS, and with the NBA playoffs here, we've got a place for you to wager. BetUS also has NFL Week 1 lines already live for you to bet on. At BetUS, they have great payouts, the industry's biggest bonuses, and every bet type you could dream of. You can join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. And there you can get 125% sign-up bonus using promo code DANE125. Bet US, you bet, you win, you get paid. Additionally, a reminder that if you would like to purchase Jake's book, you can do so from Subtext Bookstore in St. Paul. I've included a link to subtext.com in the show notes that you can order the book through and get free shipping with that while using the promo code DANE. If you're buying a book, you might as well do it locally. It's just as easy to purchase a book at subtextbooks.com as it is to buy anywhere else online. Subtext is a super clean and mobile-friendly website for browsing and buying not just this book, but any book. Get it delivered right to your home or go pick it up at Subtext Bookstore in St. Paul, which is located in downtown St. Paul by Rice Park and the St. Paul Hotel. Again, the website is subtextbooks.com. And when you shop at subtextbooks.com, you get free shipping on any order over $30 by using code DANE at checkout. That's subtextbooks.com and code DANE at checkout for free shipping. It was a no-brainer for me to partner with this locally-owned bookstore, and purchasing Built to Lose is a great way to support a locally-owned business and also a way to support Jake. And another final reminder that on this coming Tuesday that Britt Robson and I will be doing a live show at Forgotten Star Brewery for the NBA Draft Lottery. The lottery itself will take place at 7.30, but obviously make sure you get there well before that. Britt, myself, and a few others will be there at 6 p.m. to have a beer and chat before the lottery goes down. For the event, Forgotten Star has an IPA on tap whose proceeds benefit the Fridley basketball program called the Buzzer Beater Honey IPA, along with a full list of Forgotten Star's other beers. Forgotten Star isn't far away. It's located 10 minutes from downtown Minneapolis and is open at noon, seven days a week. If you're looking to check out a brewery this weekend, give them a shot. 
And for sure, come meet Britt and I on Tuesday at 6 p.m. in advance of the 7.30 lottery. June 22nd, Tuesday. We'll, we'll celebrate or commiserate there together. All right, let's bring in Jake. All right, Jake Fisher of Bleacher Report and the author of Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Has Changed the League Forever. Jake, this book is so in my strike zone, man. Like, <laughs> the, the, the best part of the NBA, right, it's, it's the actual games. It's, you know, it's what, what Chris Paul did on Sunday. It's what KD did on, was that Tuesday? What the Hawks were able to do last night. I mean, the, the best part is the games, and I always... I always want people, you know, to remember it's the games and it's not it's not all about team building, but I think the the most interesting part like as a this sounds stupid, but as an intellectual activity is <laughs> is team construction, right? And in your book, it just totally it totally breaks down or deconstructs like the evolution of how team construction in the NBA has evolved over the past decade with yeah. oddly a bunch of ties to the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Jake, when did you, when did you realize that this was a book? Yeah, I mean, Timberwolves popped up, you know, at a certain point, but I think that was that's a good example of. I was I was originally looking at this through a Philly only lens and started to realize that to really talk about Sixers and Sam Hankey's process, you got to talk about Daryl Morey in Houston, and to talk about Daryl Morey in Houston, you know, this everything is so interconnected as anybody who follows the league knows, where you know two teams create you know, a kind of pivot point in NBA history, making a trade or some draft pick thing, like the Luca Trey stuff is always going to get, you know, linked together, all that type of stuff, for example. So, you know, I think a theme emerged to me in the start of my career that all these analytical minded executives coming to power, Sam Hinkie in Philly, Rob Hennigan in Orlando, Ryan McDonough in Phoenix, to name a few. I mean, also like Danny Ainge in Boston, you know, they traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn the same night that Hinky traded Drew Holiday to New Orleans to start that process rebuild in Philadelphia. All these teams at the same time thought you know, 2014 draft is considered to be the best class since 2003. And who was in that 2003 class? It was LeBron, Wade, and Bosch, and they were all together in Miami running the league. So right. it, it was a compounding group of factors of all these teams coming together and saying, screw it, like we're not going to beat the Heat anyway. So we might as well bottom out for a couple of years, get the next generation of those stars. And by the time they're out, you know, we'll be here. And it's worked to various degrees for some teams. Um, you know, obviously Philly finding themselves in the three-two hole against Atlanta isn't great. For them. <laughs> but um, I mean, they're there and Phoenix is an example. So, you know, I, I'm excited to dive into all the details and a lot of the, the wolf stuff with you. Yeah. So before we get to that, it's interesting as I was you know, you know, thinking about this and, and Miami's dominance, right, of really, like, what was that, seven, eight years ago, everybody folded and, and for the most part and just kind of were like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to tank because of this. We got to wait it out, whatever. It's interesting how that has a lot less so been a thing, right? Even during the, the Warriors' time, um, specifically, you know, with the Houston Rockets, I was talking about this on my last pod of, like, they didn't, you know, they, they, they went for it. And, and they, at a time when it maybe even made less sense with KD Curry and all those guys all being yeah. together. And, and, you know, it, it's, it's funny that it's Houston, right? Because Houston's going for it when so many people in that Houston front office were connected to, or have worked with Sam Hinkie and Sasha Gupta and all these people who yeah. embrace the tank as much as that. Like, why, why do you think, 
maybe we haven't seen that bold of a fold with the when it comes to the Warriors or even this year with with Brooklyn. Yeah, I, I think you know a lot of people ask me all the time, do you think Sam Hinkie like when he comes back in the league, like oh he's got to be in a, in a tanking situation, right? And I right. look back on that, I think that for a lot of for a lot of teams. It, it's a very clear, obvious opportunity to rebuild and tear down your roster when you realize your group has maxed out their potential. But if your group hasn't maxed out your potential, you know, if, if there's a move to make to, to increase your ceiling, at the end of the day, teams who are trying to compete for a championship, you know, if you inject true, true serum into them, they're not trying to win the title. They're trying to put themselves in the conversation of the teams that can. Because look at this, this playoffs, right? Yeah. Injuries happen, you know, infighting occurs with – front office people and coaching staffs. And there's so much, I mean, you said that the games are, you know, what the league's all about, but if you read my book and also anyone <laughs> inside of it, the, the, between 48 and zero on the clock is, is very, very little, a very small percentage of what the NBA business and marketplace and ecosystem really is. So I think you know, as these analytical minded executives came to power and as they talked to more people like you and myself, and as the conversations gotten more streamlined, uh, on social media, like we paid more attention to team building. And I think I've definitely learned that, you know, a big goal is just to put yourself in the position to be able to compete for a championship for as long as you can. And hopefully one year, maybe multiple, the luck will edge out in your favor. Maybe you don't get lucky, but other teams get unlucky or whatever, or the ping pong balls bounce your way or whatnot. And you can put yourself in the position to at least capitalize when the door does open for you so i think that i think that that's a long answer to say like like what houston did is kind of the same side of a different coin of what hinky and what other rebuilding teams did like the rockets had james harden when you have james harden you got a shot so right they were trying to capitalize on that opportunity it it's interesting you know I, I was obsessed with like the process Sixers from uh, across the country. Like when it was happening is right when I was really like, you know, I'm out of college and I don't know, just, just focusing more on the NBA. But in, in my head, those three process years blurred, you know, so much um, before going back and kind of looking at it this week or while I was reading your book. Yeah. And and I have a trivia question for you because okay. I think this is awesome. And you should, I don't, I don't know if you'll be able to get, I actually asked it to Sasha Gupta as well, and he wasn't able to get it. So if you're able to get it, this is, this is extra good. So the third year of the process, the Sixers go 10 and 72. That's the, they won 19 the first year, 18 the second year, 10 the third year, the year Sam's ultimately fired. From that team, what is it? It's nine guys, nine guys started a game in the NBA this season. Can you name them? Well, I'll go with T.J. McConnell. Yes. Neron Dole was on that team too. Yes. Jacob Sanson. Yes. Ooh, that's a, that was a tough one. Well, I wrote it so we can do a we can do a, a quick pause. So the, okay. part we of the three, selling, three, of, part, three of nine. I'm keep going. I'm gonna keep going. But part of the selling pitch for the book is I talked to 300 people for this thing and I got right. a ton of new information and stories. One of them I didn't make the book. I wrote this really funny deleted scene thing that I was doing on Substack. I was going to JaVale McGee, who maybe he's an answer too. Is, is JaVale one of them? JaVale is not. Yeah, so he, he played on that 15-16 seed team for like two games. I guess okay. JaVale didn't start a game this year. Um, yep. So I asked him one day in the locker room when he was with the Lakers last year, like because he wasn't giving me much. And usually I try to ask people, like, well, who, well, who, who are your favorite players? Like, who are your favorite teammates? 
Um, and he couldn't remember one of the guy's names. And LeBron is sitting there a couple seats away, just rattling off this 15, 16 Sixers roster. No and he, way. And he guessed your Car Samson. So Car <laughs> Samson. Um, Robert Covington's got to be one. Yep. Um, that start Jeremy Grant. Yep. That started this year. Yep. On the 15, 16 team. TJ. The worst team, the 10 and 72 team. Do you want got, a hint? I have five of the nine. You have five of the nine. Um, 15, 16 was the third year. Yeah. <laughs> had Stauskas that year, but he didn't start in a game. Nope. TJ. <sighs> One player is really good and really hard in this. Really good and really what? Is really good and is hard to pick, I think. Oh my god, man. Hey, Sasha Gupta was second in command. How I many, texted this. He couldn't get all of them either. How many did he get? I think he got eight or seven or eight. He got almost all of them. So he be, he's beating I, you right I now. I know them. I'm just drawing a blank on who was on that team because I'm trying to d- differentiate through the years. Just, okay, well, this is one's a trick answer. Joel Embiid okay. was on that team. Right, didn't I, I, actually play there. I wasn't going to answer him because he wasn't. He didn't play. Yeah. So give me yes. six. I get so six. I, I, I'll give you six. Give me one. a hint. Next one. Yeah. Christian Wood. Christian Wood. Okay. Yeah. That's one I should have gotten. Christian Wood. Now people may, might forget. He um, he signed a contract extension with Sam Hinkie the morning that Hinkie then later resigned. And yes. Christian Wood comes into the facility and resigns, and Sam, you know. Basically gives him this whole spiel about like I believe in you, you know, you're, you're exactly what this franchise hmm. is all about. Sure enough, he then calls Christian Wood <laughs> the day and says, "Actually, I'm not going to be here." So, <laughs> at full circle, Christian Wood now plays for the Houston Rockets for Rafael Stone, who who was working with Sam back in Houston, you know, ten years ago. It's it's wild. Did Frazier start a game this year? Nope. It's the player who led. One of the two players is the player who led the Sixers in minutes per game that year. Not Luka Bamute. He led them in minutes that oh. per game. Man, Ish, Smith. Ish, Ish Smith. Smith. Ish Smith. I should have got that one too. Ish is a great, great guy. Is he? Yeah, I can see that. And then uh, Jaleel Okafor. He started Jaleel. two games apparently this year. I did not see. That was my one. I didn't think Jaleel started at all this year. Mm-hmm. Yes. The 15 16 team has some great details. Like they were so bad. <laughs> they were awful, 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 awful. But then they obviously bring in Jerry Colangelo mid-year. And I've got this great detail in the book where he meets up with the team for the first time on the road in Phoenix. And he brings him to, like, his favorite local haunt. And he brings him into this back room like a mob boss, like, telling stories. And, you know, I'm the king. Like, we're going to, like, turn this thing around. And then Ish Smith comes in, comes in and, you know, starts helping them win a couple games. But they were never really going to – Win really anything significant that year until Elton Brand comes into the fold and he made some banner I found out where he listed everyone in the franchise. Congratulations, you know, worst team in NBA history, nine and whatever. Um, and he hung it up at the practice facility one day and like it made everyone pissed. Like he tried to do it in like a motivational way. Wow. And, you know, it didn't work out. They did beat the Pelicans to get the ten, but yeah, that team that team had some funny subplots because of how bad they were. <laughs> Jerry Colangelo was in the mix for one of the Timberwolves ownership groups. Hmm. Obviously, A-Rod and Mark Laurie have, have taken that over. But the reason Colangelo's motivation was to move the team. 
so Glenn Taylor, Glenn Taylor wasn't having it. He wants the, the Timberwolves to stay here. But as I was you know, talking to some people trying to, you know, who are all these groups? Who's going to be the next Timberwolves owner? I'm like, of course, of course, Brian Colangelo back in, you know, back well, in the mix. There were very interesting rumors that, you know, in the beginning that they were struggling to find owners that actually had all the money they said they had, right? So, mm-hmm. yep. Uh, <laughs> interesting sale process, to say the least. It's, man, I mean, I, I, again, on that last pod I was just doing, it, it's, it's going to be exhausting. It's just really going to be an exhausting thing because it's going to be two and a half years till A Rod mm-hmm. and them even take it over. And then, you know, so, as we learn in the book, a hell of a lot could happen in two and a half years with a, with any franchise. Sure. But but anyway, so back to the book. What really stood out to me, and this is right in, in the beginning of the book, is you, you detail that whole sort of first year of Hinky comes in and they're the beginning of the process, right? And and on that draft night, it's the, the Sixers have this whole super successful group of scouts who have who have you know put together pretty objectively good drafts and everything in the past, the previous decade. And Hinky comes in and he only has four people be in the, the draft room or the adult room. Then the yeah. scouts are in the other room and it's him. It, it's Hinky. What was it? Two leads, two lead scouts. Who are the other two guys? It was Hinky. Sachin was his right hand man. Mm-hmm. And brought in um, Courtney Whitty and Rob. Yes. The two senior people left from that old regime. So it's just four dudes, and two of them are Sam Hinkie, who's what probably like thirty-five at the time. He's young. I think he got hired at thirty-six years old. Yeah. And and then Sashin, I think, is thirty-seven right now. So he's he's like your he's like our age, you know. And he's he's in that room, starting the process, where in the kid room, there's all these seasoned, you know, talent evaluators and everything, and. I mean, not that I'm not, not blowing up their spot, not that they're blowing them up, but like the, the guys who are making the decisions were Sam Hinkie and Sasha Gupta. And I just feel like in Minnesota or just in general, in the NBA in general, there's all we talk about all these like these main tanking character people who have revolutionized, you know, the way we think about the league and Sasha Gupta, maybe just because he's a really quiet dude. But he is one of the main guys, and he's in there at 29 years old, starting the process as Sam Hinkie's right hand man. That was just that's just wild to me. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, you know, Sasha obviously had a big role in, in creating the trade machine at ESPN mm-hmm. and Cap Wiz, and you know, him and Sam kind of were uh, cubicle neighbors that, that back in Houston. That's kind of where, and they could they were in the trenches together, if you will, and with Gerson Rosas too. Person Rosas too, yeah. I mean, that whole Rockets front office was was super tight knit with Monty McNair, who's now obviously leading the Kings. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think the one thing that was also super interesting about that pre-draft process and, and the ones moving forward was Sam and Sasha would would pretty rarely even share what they thought about the prospects because they didn't want to bias the rest of the group. They wanted objective opinions to come back to them rather than have them say, oh, we're interested in this guy. And then, you know, sure enough, everyone is now trying to be a yes man to their boss. So they were kind of clandestine about it, but in a way that also maybe those older guys didn't really take too kindly and they didn't like being on the outside in and didn't want, I mean, only four people in the whole Sixers front office knew that they were going to trade you out. Everybody else found out on TV. 
So yeah, that would be pretty much a bummer if I was you know, a senior scout that had been there for a decade, and this new guy comes in with his you know right hand man, and they're doing all this stuff without me knowing. Yeah, I'd be upset too. It was it was funny at uh, at one game this year, which is obviously a empty. It was earlier, it was in the winter, it was early game, so there's no fans at all at the stadium, and I, I'm sure you went to some of the games where there's like there's just executives on the sideline, right? And and it's before tip-off when the Wolves are playing the Sixers, and Joel Embiid walks over like to the sideline and <laughs> gives gives uh, gives Sachin Gupta some knucks. And I, the, the juxtaposition of their size was was one wild, but it's like I think you know I, Joel as much as anyone has clearly bought into the process and understood what what Sam and Sachin were doing. Well, when he was hurt, he watched a lot of games with Sam and Sasha in, in their mm-hmm. box, and he would talk about the game like an analytics guy, like lamenting the long twos and, and, and wondering why their team wasn't getting to the foul line enough. So he definitely learned a lot from those guys. And, and really, I mean, by all accounts, he implemented you know, any type of you know analytical advantage into his game like as quickly and seamlessly as anybody could like i mean the fact that he's doing these rip through moves like james harden does in the mm-hmm. perimeter on the block like he's kind of realized how to how to score at will and i think a lot of that is a credit to his relationship with sam and sasha absolutely and then full circle again obviously with daryl morey and the the connections to the connections to now to joel Embiid and yeah. making joel one of if not the most dominant player in in the league these days it's just it's crazy the other thing that that stood out to me and i think it was that same chapter maybe the next one was was the brett brown coaching search and or just the the who's gonna who is gonna pioneer this epic rebuild right and and obviously everyone knows it ends up being brett brown but what i didn't know was that two of the finalists were chris finch and david vanterpool and this is eight years ago when David Vanderpool still hasn't got his shot and yeah. Chris Finch just got hired by the Wolves, but those guys, those guys were the one and two in Minnesota this year. And it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how many times I can say full circle, but it, it's just, it's, it's cra- It was really crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys, they, I mean, Jay Larinaga was a really, you know, top candidate in that search too. And now he's coming to play up in Boston. I don't think Jay really does have a shot at the job, but he interviewed for it and he's, you know, Still a very highly respected guy. Adrian Griffin mm-hmm. was a Bulls assistant. Now he's with Toronto. He was someone Sam really liked, and now he's getting rumored for um, the opening in New Orleans. So um, I, I think a lot of these guys, just, it's just about biding your time and keeping keep doing the work and hoping your name sticks around um, in the conversation because you know, it's it just like the same type of you know teams trying to hang around a title conversation, hopefully to break your way. All these coaches just trying to get their shot. I mean, Becky right. Hammond, how many times has she gotten an interview? Right, like, so it, it's a it's a it's a testament to those guys who, you know, ride it out eight to ten years and then finally get their shot. I want to um, move into to talking about some more actually specific specific Timberwolves things, but let's take a quick break. The NBA playoffs are here, and this summer's betting action is heating up with my friends over at BetUS and with UFC, MLB, golf, Summer Olympics, and football season just around the corner. You need a sports book with great payouts. BetUS has the industry's biggest bonuses and every kind of bet type you could dream of. BetUS has been a pioneer in online betting for over 25 years, 
and prides itself on being America's favorite sports book. So take advantage of this action-packed summer and sign up today at BetUS.com. That's BetUS.com or 1-800-69-BETUS and receive a 125% sign-up bonus when you use the promo code DANE125. And if you miss tip-off, forget to bet. That's not a problem. At BetUS, you can bet live all the way up to the final buzzer. And if you think it's too early to bet on the NFL, incorrect. At BetUS, week one lines are already live for you to bet on. If you care for blackjack, spin at the reels, there are also hundreds of games in the BetUS casino as well. I bet at BetUS, and so should you. Join now by calling 1-800-69-BETUS or online at BetUS.com. BetUS, you bet, you win, you get paid. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? I struggle with perfectionist tendencies, and it can show up in my life as procrastination because I'd rather not do something at all than do it and not have it perfect. My perfectionism can trigger anxiety, and my anxiety can sometimes make me depressed. In the last year, though, I've prioritized therapy, and it has made a huge difference in my personal and professional life. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. The service is available for clients worldwide and is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash blue wire. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. Special offer for Blue Wire podcast listeners. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash Blue Wire. That's betterhelp.com forward slash Blue Wire. All right, Jake. So full disclosure, I'm only halfway through the book. So <laughs> I have I have, um, I've not got to the Andrew Wiggins, Kevin Love portion of it. But as I understand from when we were DMing that... Uh, that that is its its whole sort of thing because ultimately the first step of the process was not only for the Sixers but for as you laid out a, a lot of these other teams was losing in the 2013-14 season so as to you know make your way to get one of Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker and Joel Embiid. So I guess maybe first what were the teams doing to to get there and then specifically, you know, how did the Wolves wind up with Andrew Wiggins? Yeah. Well, you know, the book's called Build to Lose for a reason. It's <laughs> rosters are designed that way, right? When the rosters, yeah. there's very few coaches and players who are actually going out there and saying, yeah, I'm going to lose this game tonight. Like veterans who are on the trade block, the Spencer Hawes, the Evan Turners, the, the Ray John Rondos and Jeff Greens in Boston. Um, I mean, Channing Fry in Phoenix, like these guys are playing for the next contract. Like they're right. not, not losing games. And everyone knows that when you win, you know, you get paid more. So, it was definitely by design, and it, honestly, when we, we flash forward to today, when OKC and Houston and Detroit and Orlando are like sending guys home for half the year, like that wasn't what they were doing back then. They're playing, you know, very inexperienced players, and honestly, outputting rosters with young guys like Robert Covington and TJ McConnell, who didn't necessarily have the experience of the talent at that moment to win games in the interim, but growing them, you know, would allow them to get there one day. And I think, you know, a big portion of this whole thing is, again, like 
to compete for a title throughout the history of the league, it's pretty clear that you need to have multiple all-stars to do that. There are very few examples of teams that have, that have actually claimed the championship that don't have multiple stars. So when you look at it that way, I mean, when Kevin Love requests his trade before that 2014 draft, here's now like a proven star that's available. And that sent ripple effects throughout the entire NBA. Like that was the summer of love. Remember? I mean, I have this whole. I do. (laughs) I mean, I was there in Boston during it, but I also did some more reporting and talked to Kevin Love about it. Um, When remember he pops up in Boston for a weekend with his friends, and there's him seeing Rajon Rondo and Fenway Park, and I know Will's people definitely took it as Kevin saying, "Like, hey guys, like, I'm out. Like, I'm looking around." But you know, from what I was told, I think he really was just on vacation and it kind of got <laughs> out. But I mean, once once he goes to Flip Saunders and says, you know, and he so he told me it was a difficult conversation to have. Like Flip gave it, Flip traded for him on draft night, you know, and you know it was the only franchise he'd known. And he did, he did. I mean, I think anyone who gets drafted to a team as their you know savior, I think they do originally want to bring a championship or at least bring a winner to that situation. I mean, that's what the word is on Giannis in Milwaukee right now and Bradley Beal in Washington. But at a certain point, if you just realize it's not getting done, you know, it's, it's, it's within any player's prerogative to do so. And that word got out pretty quickly that, that, that love and flip had that difficult conversation. And, you know, at the time, obviously the Cleveland Cavaliers won that number one pick in that draft. And they were getting word that LeBron might come back and resign with them. And LeBron had a connection to Kevin Love through Team USA and through other Nike opportunities. And they kind of knew that that was someone that LeBron would have had interest in playing with. And before we even get there, you know, I'll make this brief. Like before, like Joel Embiid was the number one pick up until he broke his foot again. I mean, Cavs officials to this day maintain he broke his foot in that workout with Cleveland. So that's a whole other monkey wrench to that you know, big what if in you know league history being that obviously this team won the title. But you know, from there, once Joel was off the board, David Griffin and the Cavs front office, they knew that Flip probably preferred Andrew Wiggins the most of any prospect in that draft. Um, and that and that was a big part of the calculus in taking Wiggins. Absolutely. I, I have that you know pretty solid from talking to multiple Cavs people that I think almost all the reason why they took Wiggins was knowing that. Minnesota wanted him in any Kevin Love trade, and they couldn't really do so at the time. But Thad Young, who obviously goes back to Minnesota in that deal, his agent told him at the, on the draft night, like, get ready, you're going to Minnesota, you're part of this deal. Mm-hmm. So it definitely was a huge machination, and all of these talks were happening behind the scenes that I think, for, I think from the second Joel Embiid broke his foot, which was like late June, only a week or so before the draft, conversations really started to pick up on – what ended up becoming the deal that sent Wiggins and Thad Young and Bennett to Minnesota to bring Kevin Love to Cleveland. Well, it's also a fascinating revisionist history of if that doesn't happen, if, if Joel doesn't break his foot, now he's the number one pick, Cleveland has him, and that's their asset. You know, if Flip saw Joel over Wig- a healthy Joel over Wiggins, yeah. now does Joel Embiid come to Minnesota? Here well, in that what do you think? I don't know if they would have traded him. I think there's a real possibility mm-hmm. that they keep Joel and LeBron comes to play with, you know, this next generational big man. And we see Joel and B and LeBron and Cleveland together winning championships of Kyrie Irving. I think that I think that mm-hmm. would have been a real possibility. Well, that wasn't even where I was gonna go with it. I was gonna go with the Wolves end up taking Carl Anthony Towns the next season. So mm-hmm. yeah, man, it's 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 fascinating. And then 
I mean, just from a Wolves perspective, you end up with Andrew Wiggins, who, as much as Flip wanted him and as exciting as he was his rookie year, I mean, it's pretty undeniable that he stalled out this franchise for six years by, you know, not by not meeting anywhere near those expectations. That's why I think the draft is so fascinating every year, especially the years like 2014, like we talk about in the book, or this year, 2021, is considered to be, ironically, the best class since 14. And, you know, every year, though, but especially these years, when you're, when you're on the clock and it starts ticking down from five minutes, like, there's so much involved. There's agents' agendas and players' agendas and executives' agendas and ownership's agendas, and there is so much at stake for the state of the overall franchise and the people making those decisions. And you can mess up and ruin your franchise or your career. It really right. is. That really, that's not hyperbolic to say. And I think, you know, we have to remember that Wiggins was hyped up to be the next LeBron, and Jabari right. was considered to be the next Carmelo. I mean, I had Bucks owner Mark Lazary on the book telling me that. They took Jabari at number two, thinking he was the most ready-made prospect in that draft, um, and they wanted to go back and make the play. They thought Jabari could take a team that was the worst team in the league right to the playoffs right away. So I think it's so interesting how all that pressure ends up materializing into all these conflicting factors that, that make that pick. But at the time, you couldn't have faulted them from taking Wiggins. It just obviously, yeah, it didn't work out. It's wild, man. It, so – so I'm thinking about it now. You bring up how this 2021 class is, you know, it's the next coming of the 2014 class or the next next coming of the 2003 class. And yeah. you think about it from a Timberwolves perspective, right, where, you know, they they had the worst record in the league, you know, two-thirds of the way into this season. Yeah. And they opt, I mean, for one of the first times I can remember, to not tank down the stretch of this season. And they end up going – falling all the way down now to sixth in, in the lottery odds with a, you know, a ch they only keep their pick if they fall in the top three. But as that was playing out this season, did that surprise you at all? Or, or why do you think the Timberwolves didn't tank at the end of the season, particularly considering that Sasha Gupta is the number two man in, in Minnesota right now? Well, again, I, I think it's a little bit of, I don't want to say a fool's errand. I don't want to call you a fool, but a little bit misguided, let's say, to to just equate what someone was part of in the past and say, right. oh, this is exactly what they're going to do in the future. But I do think in this particular case, I think you know, bringing in Chris Finch was part of an, an overall emphasis from this front office group to create a winner on Carl Anthony Towns. I mean, mm -hmm. you know as well as anybody – the, the year 2024 is you can't say that around Wolves people right now. That's <laughs> the subject, but you know all this hype right now with Luka Doncic, will he sign a supermax in in uh, Dallas, and the questions about Zion, like Carlton Towns, and, and the question mark of him potentially leaving is a real factor for that franchise. And I think you know, the clock is ticking, like not just for them, but on him too. Like I think for him to even. I think there's an emphasis for all these players involved to, to get themselves into a winning situation. Like we talked about before, like players get rewarded when they win games. And mm -hmm. I think everyone's kind of aligned in this goal of trying to, I mean, I think there's expectations in Minnesota to compete for the play-in tournament next year. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, yes, if they lose this pick, is it, you know, another chance to get a real difference maker that you're missing out on? Yes. But I think to, go down the stretch where your new coach that obviously was brought in under, you know, curious circumstances that got kind of lamented by the public and the media, like for him to, and I, I don't agree with that. I think 
Chris Finch is a phenomenal coach and he's got a longstanding relationship with Curson Rosas. And I'm talking to people on the league, like he was pretty much the guy. If Ryan Saunders wasn't the coach before Curson came in and he wasn't Flip Saunders' son who had just died, I'll rest in peace, like not to besmirch his name. I, I think Chris Finch gets that job from the jump. Oh, so, that's not even a question. Yeah, that's facts. So, like, I don't think it's like, oh, they didn't have this search. Like, they did have a search. They just – this was number two, so they, they tried to course correct. And I think, you know, there was a lot of benefit to getting him in there with Anthony Edwards and having them – I mean, we saw, sure. big, we saw a big change in Anthony Edwards' shot profile the last 20 games of that year. He was way more efficient, way more productive. I think there was a lot of benefit to growing that group into the future. You look at what Phoenix did in the bubble. I mean, obviously that's not what Minnesota had. They didn't go eight and zero or whatever. But I think to, to build some type of momentum heading into this off season, where you know now we're getting one more year closer to 2024, and you know Anthony Edwards is now an NBA player, and maybe D'Angelo can get healthier. And I think it was I I understand why they wanted to to trend in the up, in, in an upward direction. Well, I absolutely do too. Um... I, I think the, the, the more interesting question is if the lottery odds hadn't changed, what have they, you know, what have they done this? Because I was just looking it up before this, the lottery odds have now flattened out where it's, you know, it's just a 14% chance of getting the number one pick. That's my book. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It would have been though, previous odds were 25% chance of number one. And if you go, and if you go top three, which is the case for the Wolves, that's a 64.3% chance yeah, of yeah. keeping that pick. And I would have to assume, as the fool, <laughs> that, that, that that's a big difference, right? It's yeah. This year it would have been 40.1% if they ended with the worst odds of keeping their pick. And if it was just two years ago, pre-odds flattening, it would have been 64.3%. And I, I think that's a... I mean, it will create in in your next book, the sequel, uh, uh, a great revisionist history there as well, too, where if Cade Cunningham is the next Luca or whatever it might be, it's like not that the uh, that, that the Wolves ran away from that, but that it was kind of this, I don't know, doubling down in a way where the odds ran them away from it and then they ran further. Uh, it's just... It's going to be, and, and who, who knows? Lottery, lottery night's coming up Tuesday night. Um, we'll sure. we'll we'll see what happens, but I, I wonder what the impact of these odds flattening will be. You know, long term. I think I think people will point to what Houston did this year. Obviously, what Oklahoma City did this year is like the tank is still alive and well, and and everyone's doing it. But Minnesota is a counterexample to this of maybe an impact of the odds flattening a little bit. Where do you where do you see that going? I, I don't know definitively if you know what you're saying is true, but I certainly see the, the the logic behind it. And I think you know the Wolves winning the number one pick in 2015 played a big factor in lottery reform too, because then the Sixers win it in 2016. They were the worst team in 2016, like we just talked right. about. The, the six out of nine players that I <laughs> and the next year the Nets got that number one pick in 2017 that goes to Boston through the trade from KG and Paul Pierce. The Nets were the worst team in the league too. And that set the stage for that summer to have these lottery reform conversations because the league tried to do it in 2014, but you know, Sam Hinkie in Oklahoma city with Sam Presti, like they definitely rallied the troops to, to quell that vote. But by the time it was three years down the road, and Jalil Okafor had his whole fight in Boston and all that type of stuff. And then 
Minnesota wins it, Philly wins it, Brooklyn wins it. There was starting to be a real fear in the league office that it was going to be a more attractive opportunity for teams to play the lottery and, and, and bottom out, be the worst team in the league, and get the number one pick, even though there only was a 25% chance at the time. So I think the Wolves, even though they're not really a big character, they pop up a lot in the book, <laughs> doing that, the love stuff, they and do. they have the number one pick. And we can we can go into the Carl Anthony Towns draft decision even too. I've got some details on that. But just the Wolves being the worst team in the league after trading love and getting the number one pick, that started a chain of events that led to lottery reform even happening in the first place. It did. It, it's it's funny from uh, you know covering covering this Wolves team and and you're kind of I don't know I guess your job or my job is to is to speak to what like people want to hear about right and in Minnesota it's just been the case since I've been covering this team that you know it's the on court product is, is is not as interesting and so really what I feel from the people who, who email me or who I'm interacting with is that this intellectual activity of this, this whole team construction thing, it, it's almost a saving grace, I think for, for the Timberwolves fan base and in, in remaining engaged. I mean, I, I see it in, in my numbers of articles I've written or podcasts I've done where, and maybe that's somewhat true across the board. People just love movement, but in a weird way, I feel like with Minnesota and Philadelphia, the this the, the tanking era happening over this past decade has has kept these fan bases involved in their team rather than just being like ah we'll, we'll wait until you know we'll wait until they're better to to get get involved again now it's like what trade can we make what are our odds what is what is all this and that and it, it's kind of fascinating yeah I think uh, like I said at the top I think these smarter analytical minded guys coming to power and, and, and having conversations with people like you and I allowed this conversation to get streamlined to the fans on social media. And now right. we have casual fans talking about pick protections in 2023 and all this type of stuff. <laughs> it's great for the league in one aspect, but also I think it's played a, I think it's played a factor in the value in the regular season and the league's going to have to you know, reckon with that. And I do think that, um, I do think that, uh, I think they're going to play a midseason tournament at some point in the next couple of years here. And I think the playing tournament was a big part of the calculus was to prevent tanking from happening. So you know, I, I do think that it's a chicken and an egg type situation and it's been good for the league, but it's also been bad as well. It, it, it's, it is a chicken and egg sort of thing because I think for some, for some people it's super important. And, and in another sense, it's like, I mean, here in Minnesota, they had a busted TV deal the whole year. And I, I feel like, a ton of Timberwolves fans haven't even watched Anthony Edwards play a, play a, a full game. And it's just, it's, um, it's yeah, for real. They are. I mean, they, they really are. Um, okay. Before I let you go, is that you got any other like last story set the hook so people can, uh, get sure. in here cat or something else. So when the wolves got the number one pick, if people recall, there was a lot, there was a, an immediate report that flips honors really like Joel Okafor. Yeah. And, he did a really good job of convincing the entire NBA that he was considering taking job number one, even to the point where John Calipari called up Flip Saunders. John Calipari told me this on the record in the book, like the week of the draft, and was like, Flip, are you really considering taking this guy over Cat? He was like, No, no, no. I'm just trying to generate trade interest and see what I can get back here. We're taking Cat. Don't worry. Like this guy is the guy. But uh. they did bring Jaw in for a workout. They brought in Emmanuel Moutier, and they brought in D'Angelo Russell, and they tried to bring in Porzingis. Um, 
they were really definitely spanning the net there. And from people I talked to on the team, I talked to Rob Dabcock, who was a longtime executive. He's passed yep. away. So rest in peace to him as well. Um, but, you know, Cat, just from the jump, when they brought him in, let alone the tape that they had done, um, he was always the guy. But that that mystery that flipped it and and, and, and allowed, you know, he, it, it, it trickled its way down the draft. The Lakers picking number two. You know, they were able to kind of spearhead some things and, and lead some people astray. And when – when after the Wolves do, do take towns and the Lakers are on the clock in Barclays in the green room, D'Angelo Russell's agent Aaron Mintz and Bill Duffy, Jaws' agent, they look at each other across the room and they both just shrugged at each other like, we don't know what's happening either. <laughs> I think that's a credit to Flip. In I mean, obviously, you know, on our side of the business, like I hope for as much transparency and like true info as I can. That's why you make the extra calls to try to confirm some stuff. But you do got to kind of give him credit for playing the game and keeping everybody guessing. And, uh, I mean, obviously Carl was the guy and I mean, there's been, we can, that's a whole other podcast to see what he actually will peek out at and whatever, what have you, what his postseason success will ultimately be. But I mean, he clearly was the number one pick in that draft and kudos to flip in that front office for, um, for making the right selection. Well, Jake, like I said, um, the book is is so in my strike zone, and I would imagine uh, that would extend to the people who are listening to this. So, so really, I I, I, re- I recommend it. And and Jay, I mean, it it's insane to be reading this. I'm like, there there's so many people quoted in this. So props to you, man, for for really hustling on that. And it 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 um it illuminates this story that uh, defines Philadelphia in many ways, which by connection has has really started to define not only where the Minnesota Timberwolves are but but where they're going it, it's kind of like it's kind of you know Sashin's next like next chance at, at doing the Philadelphia thing it's Gerson's chance to kind of overcome that hump that they were never never able to overcome in yeah. in, in Houston and it's 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 a fascinating second uh second wrinkle to to the NBA game these days so thanks for doing it man yeah, thank you, man. Appreciate the platform. And yeah, anybody listening, you can get it on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, wherever you buy your books. A ton of new info, like Dave mentioned, and I'd, I'd appreciate the support. Subtextbooks.com, our sponsor. As I as I said in our ad break, uh, you could you could check that one out too. So uh, thank you, Jake, for doing it. And we'll talk again sometime soon. You're, you're reporting everywhere. You 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 just you said how Chris Finch is, is looking for his stuff. So, so read Jake on Bleacher Report as well too, man. It's really... It's really good to see where um, where you're taking this. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Have a good one, all right? All right. Um, until next week, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green and hot so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down.